All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to a brand new episode of SCAR. And SCAR stands for Seeking Courage and Redemption with Dustin Rivenbark. Now, we have a great guest on the line today. Before we get into all of that, I want to give you the intent of the podcast, kind of the why are we here, so to speak. And we are here to work out our hardships, our obstacles, our issues in such a way that we can begin to uncover and unfold God's plan for our lives. Now, you may be asking, but Dustin, why do I need to listen to Scar? Here's the truth, guys. We all have stuff. We all have hardships, obstacles, things that can stack on top of one another, and they can actually change the trajectory of our lives if we allow those hardships to be the driving force. So that is why you need to be listening to Scar. And with all of that being said, I want to welcome our amazing guest, Mr. Tony Lloyd, to the show. Tony, would you please say hello? Hello. Glad uh, to be here. Yes, so glad to have you. Now, uh, Tony Lloyd is um, a former uh, uh, CEO, Fortune 500 company, uh, TEDx speaker, and, and all of those things, business coach. So what I would like to what I would like to do, Tony, could you start by giving us a little bit of background about what you do, how you got here, so to speak? <laughs> well, uh, so that's a, that's a wide open lane. There, sure. Uh, yeah, so, so Dustin, I'll say, first of all, thanks for having me here. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I did listen to your first episode, and I really I appreciate your being vulnerable and sharing the things that you have. Yes. Um, and, I, and I'll mention kind of in passing here, and maybe we can circle back to this later. Uh, the other day I heard a guy named Philip McKernan, and he said, your genius is buried right next to your greatest wound. Wow. Wow. (laughs) You just opened up with a bomb. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, you and I both know that, you know, whether you're working with people in the oil field or you're working with people in uh, Fortune 500 companies or startups that I work with today, um, that, that the, the, biggest success comes from inner work it comes from dealing with all that emotional stuff all the spiritual stuff all the intellectual stuff all that stuff is sort of inside and that's how you move forward and so uh, you know my, my background I had a very uh, technical background um, you know 150 years ago and uh, you know actually I did work in the oil fields I worked uh, just I was in Wichita Falls uh, 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 Texas and worked in the oil fields when I was a very young man. So okay. I'm a little bit familiar. I didn't do the offshore stuff that you did. Yes. Um, and, and then later I did other things. I, I had a technical background. I worked in kind of an engineering field. Uh, I did consulting in that engineering field. Later that turned into teaching people about the technical stuff that I was working on, which became sort of, you know, train the trainer, learning about how people learn. Um, my, my degree is in marketing, so um, I was doing some work with John Deere, the 
attract your people yes uh, as a as a consultant and they recruited me in and so that kind of started my process of being in fortune 500 companies uh, i was a manager i was a director i was eventually a vice president uh, i worked with companies like john deere medtronic that makes uh, medical devices i worked with buffalo wild wings i worked with a lot of companies that you know whose brands you would recognize uh, but about 2014 i i, I kind of hit this point at which i said okay um you know, I'm really enjoying the work that I'm doing per se. So I was doing leadership development workshops and executive uh, development. I was doing succession planning in different companies. Uh, you know, I just did a lot of really fun and interesting stuff. Um, but the values of the companies I was working with, because of the nature, just simply, you know, it's not that they're good, bad, or evil. The nature of business, especially publicly traded companies, is we take care of the shareholder first. So the people who own stocks in the company, they get taken care of first. Yes. Which means all the other stakeholders, so the communities in which we work, the, the families that uh, depend on the workers that work for us, you know, the, the, uh, the, the planet on which we live, just all these different other stakeholders, they just, they get second place. And so that began to, bother me, I began to think about, you know, is there a way for us to run a company that produces social good or produces environmental benefit or does something good in the world while also making money? Wow. And so I, uh, I uh, began to explore that. I left my corporate career. Uh, I ran into a group at the University of Minnesota and there's, a, there's an organization there called ACARA, A-C-A-R-A, ACARA. And what they were doing was they were working with students that were starting businesses, and those businesses had a social mission. And I could give you several examples of that. Um, but, you know, I, I, that, that is called social entrepreneurship so yes. you make a dollar but you also make a difference you you make money but that money has a mission it has a meaning and so you know it's as opposed to a nonprofit model in which you know like you and I go work our jobs and then we take money out of our pocket and we give it to somebody else in a nonprofit and they go off and do good well, what they do is they build good into their business model. Um, I'll, I'll give you one quick example. I know I'm going on a little long. You're good. You're I'll good. Give you one quick, <laughs> I'll give you one quick example. Uh, there's um, uh, th there's a company called Spoonful Apparel. Okay. And uh, so what what it was is they have a their founder is named Susan Elwer. And Susan was sitting in her church listening to her pastor. She had a little notebook with her that she kept, you know, just random thoughts that would pop into her head. And in the middle of the sermon, she got this idea for a T-shirt company that has uh, inspirational slogans that, 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 you know, talks about. Because everywhere we look, we can hear somebody who's angry and yelling at somebody. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Especially so, this day and age. Yeah. Yeah, so she thought, well, you know what we need? We need um, more positivity, more inspirational messages in the world. And so people would enjoy wearing T-shirts that don't say Nike on them. They, they, they say, you know, be strong and courageous. I love them. it. So, you know, and so she had this idea. But now 
she just knew that was a half-baked idea, and she just wrote it in her notebook and went on. Well, a few months later, she is at uh, a preschool, so she also was a, uh, an assistant at a preschool, and um, one of the teachers came to her and said, you see that little boy sitting over there? We have just finished the first quarter of the school year, and he has not eaten lunch one time. Wow. And it just melted her heart. And so, you know, the first thing Susan did was she ran home and she made a sandwich. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just feed this kid, right? Yes. But then, she, but then she asked herself, how could we make this bigger? How could we take on hungry kids everywhere? Is there something we could do? And then those two things came together. The idea about the inspirational t-shirts and the idea about feeding hungry kids and so she launched this company, and it's called Spoonful Apparel, S-P-O-O-N-F-U-L, Spoonful Apparel. And they sell T-shirts and other things with inspirational slogans on them, and they give half their profits to hungry kids. And so she makes a difference by sharing some of her profits. And there's, you know, I, I could give you a bunch of different business models about how people you know they make a difference by what they sell or how they staff or how they source or all that but anyway so so those are called social entrepreneurs and and that's the kind of people i work with today so i'm a you know i'm an author i'm a speaker i'm a business coach and uh and i primarily work with people who are inspired to use business to do social good so so that's me that's my background that's how i got here Listen, Tony. That is that. I love that. And here's here's what I'm. What really intrigued me. I want to know what separates Tony Lloyd from a Fortune 500 executive that just says "Feed me." You were drawn to. You were drawn to. How can I make difference and make money? Okay. And and I love I love what you just said. I want to know. What separated you from the guy who just says more, more, more? Right, right, right. Well, you know, I, I think that, so, so you know, uh, I, I'm not sure if you'll 100% agree with me on this, but, but just go with me for a second here. So I think that when, when we get down to the person that we were created to be, right, so when we get down to just our true selves as we were created and put on the earth yes that we are we are calm we are clear we're compassionate we're confident we're connected with each other we're courageous we're creative we're curious you know like all that stuff right yeah but somewhere along the way something gets piled on top of us there's a there's a there's a trauma there's a wound there's a something and what it does is it sends us spinning off in another direction. And I think when we, you know, if I really sat down with any person, including the CEO of a company that has been dumping chemicals into the local creek and been causing damage to the environment, if I sat down with that CEO and he and I just got, or she and I, uh, got knee to knee and we just sat there and had a conversation, the truth is they want their life to have purpose and meaning. They, wow. they don't want to get to the end of their life and be, you know, uh, Scrooge, right? They, they don't want to get to the end of their life and go, boy, I just wasted all that. Sure. So, so here, here's the thing. I, every person I talk to, they say, I want to live a life 
of purpose and meaning. And the, the, the trick is this, that the way you spend your time is the way you spend your life. Mm. And sometimes we forget that. So we think that we have time to burn, that, you know, oh, I'm only working this job right now, later on I'm going to go do something else. And then, you know, and, and so on average during a work week, uh, 36% of your day is spent either asleep or in personal grooming. You're going to sleep for, you know, however long you sleep, six hours, eight hours, whatever that is. And you're going to get up and you're going to shower and brush your teeth and whatever. And, and so 36% of your time, more than a third of your day is spent asleep or in personal grooming. 37% of your job, uh, of your time is spent in work or work-related activities. So between sleep and work, two-thirds of your weekday is spent either asleep or at work. Wow. And, and so if the way we spend our time is the way we spend our lives, and if we want to live a life of purpose and meaning, we have to find a way to, to find a purpose and meaning in that part of our lives. So we're not going to add more purpose and meaning to our sleep life, so it has to come from that work life. So there are three basic ways that people do that. One is they're working a job and they find within that job the purpose and the meaning. You know, even if I'm a janitor, if I'm a janitor right now during this pandemic when you and I are recording this, then I am helping with hygiene, cleaning, sanitation. Uh, I am doing really critical work. And so if I if I if that appeals to me, then I can attach meaning to that kind of work. So yeah. the first way is to find meaning in the work you're already doing. The second way is if you're doing something and you just go, I you know, I can't find it. It's just <laughs> not here, man. You know, I just don't see it. Then the second way is to find another job where you're working on purpose and you're doing something that really meets your mission. That yeah. you have a mission and and you meet your mission through your work. Um, and, and there are companies that do that, and I can give you a bunch of examples of that. But then the third way is if you look around, you're not finding the kind of company that you want, and your current company isn't giving you the kind of, of thing that you want to do, then you could start something that does social good. And, you know, I mean, I, I talked to somebody the other day, um, Emily Hunt Turner, and she has a grilled cheese sandwich shop. Wow. Now, first of all, you've got my attention when you say grilled cheese sandwich shop. <laughs> all day. Shop. All day. All day. <laughs> and, they, and, and, you know, and their chefs are making these really crazy concoctions where they're just taking your basic grilled cheese sandwich and they're turning it into all kinds of interesting things. Like one of them is a jerk chicken grilled cheese sandwich. They Love take that sort of Jamaican spices yes. and they put it on chicken and they put, combine it. And man, my mouth waters when I think about that, right? Man, I'm salivating. So, <laughs> yeah, so so there's nothing, when you hear that grilled cheese sandwich shop, that doesn't sound like something that has a social mission. It sounds delicious, sounds fun, yeah. sounds great. But what, what Emily does is she hires people who are coming out of the criminal justice system. So she hires people who have just left jail or prison, and she gets them steady on their feet. She has a culinary institute where they train them about culinary skills 
And then she calls her sandwich shop. You ready for this? Yeah. All square. Okay. So she's like, you are all square with society. You're all square with us. Wow. So by the way that she staffs her restaurant, she took a grilled cheese sandwich shop, which is really interesting, and she turned it into something that has this higher purpose, this greater calling. And and so I, I talk to people all day, every day, that do this kind of thing, that they start a a business and the business has a mission. So, you know, I, I've been talking for a long time and I'm conscious of that. So I just want to pause for a second and let you jump in. Tony Lloyd, I, I'm just telling you right now, I love this. And so I love where this is going. And and I love the whole idea about um, all square. I mean, you're you're good. You come here to our our cheese our our, our grilled cheese shop, and we're helping the community and and all of that. And so this passion to help people and all of that. I guess um, in it wasn't always the case. And so there there's a there's a basic story that you tell from from kind of December 2018 and I'm sure you know in what I'm in reference to um, where you spoke some words to a friend tell us a little bit about that and that moment and uh, and and kind of what what shifted or where the shift was made all right well you know um, so I will say, I've always been kind of purpose-driven. I I had a near-drowning accident when I was 14 years old. And and Dustin, I I have to tell you, I I was at this point where I was laying in the bottom of the lake and my eyes were closed and the thing that woke me up was I opened my eyes because there was something cold on the back of my head and I realized that it was at the bottom of the lake. Mm. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about a pivot point that was happened, you know, in 2018, and I was obviously not, you know, 14 years old in that scene. Yeah. So from that point, right, I have always known that I wanted to live a life of purpose and meaning. Like, I, I wanted to live, I wanted to make an impact. I just wanted to make a difference. And so... From that point on, I really was working to be of service. And, and, and over the years, I did a lot of things, right? So, you know, sometimes I was working a job that had heart and meaning. Or sometimes I was, you know, working a job that paid the bills, but I would be volunteering in my church or I would be doing something, you know, on the side that had some kind of social or environmental benefit to it. And, and so... What that did, though, was it completely occupied 100% of my time and sometimes 110% of my time. Mm. And, and so you know what it's like, Dustin, when, when, you, when you join, and we're going to go to church here for a second. Let's go. Uh, and I'm not, picking, I'm not picking on churches, yeah. but I have to tell you, there are times when you come into a church and they see you come in and they go, oh, thank heavens. And now we can just pile on you know, right. all the stuff that needs to be done around here. Yes. You know? and, and if you have a heart for service, you can find yourself overwhelmed by, you know, you you can find that you're the guy who sweeps the church after service. And then, you you know, you, you drive the, the bus to pick up the kids for children's church. And by the way, you're the youth minister. Yeah. And while you're at it, you know, you're the guy who mows the lawn. And, you know, that, that you can 
you can go to service and you can follow that service life to the point where you are no earthly good and and you can become consumed by service and so you know when i was working my fortune 500 uh job i traveled the world i you know would you know so at one point somebody asked my wife she said uh, where do you live and uh, she said well i live at this address and he lives at the Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam in the KLM Lounge. That's where he lives. You yeah. know, so I was gone on the airplane so much, you know that that it, you know I was constantly working, and I had this sort of you know eighty plus hour work week that I worked because you know we talk about a work week. Well, my work week never ended. You know, yeah. I had my phone at my side at all times. I was constantly on call. I was constantly working. You know, over the weekend, I'd be doing projects so I could get ready so that Monday when we come together and my staff would come in, we would hit the ground running. I'd know what, where they were and how to do it and get them going in the right direction. So, you know, whether you're being in service in a business or you're being in service outside of the business and you're just, if you are a person who has a heart for service, then you can hit this point where you have nothing left to get. Yes. I, I would suspect that you've been there at least once in your life. Many times. <laughs> yes, many times. Okay. Yeah. So um, in, uh, in in December of 2018, the, the, the thing that you're talking about is I, I went to breakfast with a friend of mine and he was just, you know, he just asked me the question that, we probably ask each other 10,000 times and, and it's a simple question. It's just, how are you? But, you know, I, I said right at the top of this that your greatest genius is buried next to your greatest wound. Yes. And, and so the question is, what's the story that if you told it out loud, you would just lose your stuff. You would just break down. And, and I think sometimes we hold these things inside and, and, and we, you know, before you can have that breakthrough, you have to have the breakdown. And sometimes we hold these wounds inside and we feel shame and guilt and anger and rage and whatever else might be there. And we get stuck. And when you don't talk about the place where you're stuck, what happens is, you know, it's like we become emotionally, this is not a, 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 a gentle way to say it, but we become emotionally constipated, right? Right, We have right. something in us that we haven't said out loud to another human being, and so we spend our lives in our heads. And somebody says, hey, how you doing? We go, great, 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 I'm great, how are you? You know, we never stop to feel the feeling. Yeah, And so, yeah. on that day, when I sat across from my friend Michael, and he said to me, he goes, so how are you? And he just said it to me in such a way that I heard it. And I said, the truth is, I am depressed. Yeah. And, you know, I have to give Michael a lot of credit because he would have, you know, me, I might have gone right to, oh, let me tell you what I've done about depression in the past and here's how I fix it. Let me just fix that for you. But he didn't. He just sat there with me and he goes, well, what does that look like for you? And the sentence that came out of my mouth in that moment was, I don't want to be alive. 
Wow, what a shock. Well, I have to tell you, his eyes got about as big as saucers. I'm sure, yeah. And, 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 and I think my, my face might have taken on the same look because I couldn't believe that those words came out of my mouth. It's like, did I really just say that? Like, in my heart? Yeah. What? And so, was it... Was it that you wanted to harm yourself, or what was what was yeah. happening? Yeah, so that is a great question, Dustin. Uh, you know, I, I didn't want to harm myself. I just didn't get the point of it all. Mm. Right? So I had, I had left my corporate career at that point four years beforehand. Uh, I had, you know, I, I had been working with these social entrepreneurs, I had been, I had a podcast, at one point I was releasing three podcast episodes a week, uh, I, I had written a book, uh, you know, I had a radio program at one point, uh, you know, and, and what I had done was I had taken that crazy, overworked life from my Fortune 500 career, and I just simply transplanted it into my own business, wow. and I was exhausted and that was really what was happening was i i had gotten so far down physically emotionally spiritually that i just didn't see the point of it all Mm. and and what that did you know um so one of the things that michael did for me which i think is just really a kindness he said so why do you think you're depressed? Now, you know, isn't that an interesting question? It like, is. You know, uh, you know, it wasn't, well, you know, let me just give you a, a fix for that or yeah. here's a pill or whatever. He, he said, why do you think that is? And so I dug a little bit deeper and I thought, well, you know, I have over the years, I've gone up and down in my emotions and I've been reading about depression a lot and I've read a lot of, you know, the popular press stuff about depression and and what I thought was, and what I said out loud to him was, well, you know, my brain is broken and I'm not producing enough serotonin and I, you know, and obviously I either need to go get a pill or maybe I can take some St. John's Ward. I heard that's a good herb and yeah. you can take that. It'll help you boost your serotonin. You know? And Michael just, you know, he was really present with me and he's just very kind and loving. And he said, you know, do you mind if I send you something? And I said, no, I, I, you know, I don't mind. Uh, sure, you know, you're my friend, say yeah. anything. So, you know, we kind of like went on with our, our breakfast. We were having a breakfast meeting, we went on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and what he sent me, he sent me this book, it's by a guy named Johan Hari, and it's called Lost Connections, Why You Are Depressed and How to Find Hope. Oh, wow. And here's the, here's the interesting thing about Johan Hari and what he did. He looked at... Um, the causes of anxiety and depression. And he had, from the teenage years, he had been on, you know, antidepressant drugs. He'd been, you know, diagnosed as being depressed. And and so he had gone on this quest where he literally, he's from the UK, and he literally flew around the world. He flew like 40,000 miles, and he talked to, he sat across the desk from the top experts on anxiety and depression and talked to them to say, what causes anxiety and depression? And here's the, here's the shocking part. He found that there are only, uh, that there are nine reasons why people experience anxiety and depression, but only two of them have anything to do with your genes 
you know, a lot of people will say, well, I have a lot of depression in my family, so it's genetic, that's why I'm depressed, or your brain chemistry. Wow. And so I have been told the story, the reason that you are anxious and depressed is because your brain is broken. You don't have enough serotonin, so your brain chemistry is off balance, and you need to take the pill, and when you take that pill, your brain chemistry will get back in the it's balance. It's going to fix everything. And you'll be okay. It'll fix everything. Take a pill, right? Yeah. So he, he found that, and, and his book is called Lost Connections, because he said we are disconnected from. We, we you know, when I talked about that, you know, that Philip McKernan quote about your genius is buried next to your greatest wound, sometimes... You know, we are just simply disconnected from that reality. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, causes of anxiety and depression include, like, connection or a disconnection from meaningful work or from other people or from meaningful values. You know, we think that if we get enough likes on Instagram, well, then we're valuable, right? Right, and right. We get disconnected from true values mm-hmm. or sometimes we're disconnected from the trauma in our life. You know, you, you told the story about your mom and dad and yeah. all that you had to go through. And sometimes we don't dig into that thing. We, we look at it with our heads and we keep it in the head space where it's nice and, and unemotional. And we can just, you know, look at it and examine it and go, well, isn't that interesting? And walk away from it. But we don't examine it with our hearts. We don't really experience it. Um, other people are disconnected from status and respect. They, you know, they, you know, they, they go to the paint store and they shake the paint for the customer that stands in line, and they just, you know, next, and somebody comes in and they shake the paint and they hand it off, right? Right. Um, so we're we're disconnected from status and respect. You know, one of the things that he mentions also is being disconnected from the natural world. And sometimes, you know, if we don't spend a little bit of time outside in day, in, in nature. It can just sort of be depressing. And, and right now, during a time when people are social isolating and don't want to get out, you know, that, that's a big cause of it. Um, and then one more is um, being disconnected from a sense of hope and a future. So, you know, we feel like we don't have control over our destiny. We feel hopeless. And so it's easy to go there. And, and so there are nine different causes of anxiety and depression. But what that did for me, Dustin, was it helped me to realize that if, if the story was different, if the story wasn't that I am a victim, victim of a broken brain, if the story was that I have a sense of, and the technical term for it is agency, right? So okay. I am in charge of my own destiny. Yep. That I have some control in this thing. I have a hand on the steering wheel that I can turn this thing in a different direction, that gave me hope. And so, you know, as you know, and other people may not know, I went through this whole experiment where I did this year of personal bests, and that's a plural. And so, you know, I, I asked myself, well, you know, if I'm, if I'm living this miserable life right now, what would my life look like if I was living my best life in my physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, social, marriage, parental, vocational, financial, avocational, if I lived my best life in all the areas of my life, what would that look like? And, and where am I now? Where would I be going and how do I get there? So what, what a great, that, that what a great, in 2019. what a great question. Okay. And, and so let me, I'm fascinated by the question, uh, Michael asked you at, 
at lunch. The question of why, okay? And then and then that almost gives us because here's the deal, Tony. <clears throat> we live in a in a push of a button, fast-paced society that will swallow you whole. All right, if you allow the anxieties, the pressures, and all of the things of this world to mount on your back, and when you find yourself in a spiritual, mental, physical deficit, you are doomed, my friend. And so it, you can go on in this in this um, uh, depression. You can go on in this anxious state forever without ever pinpointing it. And that question of why is like, is like the target, okay, of, of, of what is going on. And then you follow that up with what would it look like if, okay, so I need to know my why. I need to know why I feel this way. I need to know why I'm down. I need to know what has me feeling trapped in this relationship, trapped at this job, all of these things. And then the what would it look like if, and so I've got something to now shift and aim for. I just wanted to make sure um, that that I, I got those points out because that is yeah. monumental to a life of purpose. So uh, uh, keep going there. Yeah, you know, here's, I would imagine that you yourself and then your listeners, you are the kinds of people who want to be of service. Yes. Right, that you, you know, you, you have a sense of mission, a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, a sense of, I want to, you know, there's an injured world around me and I want to do something about it, right? Yes. And, and that's usually what happens with people who start these, like, social businesses I've been talking about, but it's, it, same thing happens in churches, in nonprofits, in other places, that there's something in the world that breaks your heart, or there's something in the world that inspires you, right? So, you know, I recently uh, got new eyeglasses, and the company that I bought my eyeglasses from is called Warby Parker, W-A-R-B-Y, Warby Parker. And the reason that I picked that company to buy my eyeglasses from is because they uh, partner with a nonprofit that goes around the world, and for every pair of glasses that that they sell to people like me who can afford a pair of glasses, they have a mission to go give glasses to somebody in the world that don't, don't have glasses, I that need it. glasses, that need to be able to do work later in life, and they, you know, their eyesight is failing, and they they don't have glasses, or they're a kid who, who needs corrective lenses. So, so they're on this mission, you know, buy one get one. And so, you know, whether people are in a social business or a nonprofit or they're in a church or wherever they're at. That, that we tend to be people who are either inspired by, you know, the Warby Parkers of the world or somebody else, those all square, whoever, or we just look at something in the world and our heart is broken. Mm. And so that often begins the journey. But but here's the thing. I feel like, um, that, you know, I went through this year of personal best and, and I started by just sort of doing a self-assessment on a scale of one to ten you know, where am I in these three areas I talk about, thrive, connect, contribute. Um, and so I did, I did this self-assessment, and, and in each of these ten domains, physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, social, marital, parental, vocational, financial, and avocational. So I did this self-assessment. I said, on a scale of one to ten, where am I? Right now I'm at a three. Well, maybe I'm not going to get to a ten, but I need to be to a seven. So, so 
I started there because I, at the end of that year, here's what I learned, that we are put on earth to connect, right? We are social creatures. We were meant to not be alone. We are meant to connect with one another and to contribute. And so the way that you contribute to the world and the little ding you're going to put in the corner of the universe, it's going to be different than my ding in the corner universe and the way that I contribute. But we're all here to contribute something. So we're here to connect and we're here to contribute. But before you can connect and before you can contribute, first you have to practice self-care because you cannot pour from an empty vessel. And so that's what I talk about thriving. And and so in that year, I did a self-assessment at the beginning of the year. I measured everything that could be measured, right? So my physical health was a good example of that because, you know, I can go to the doctor and they can measure my cholesterol, my heart rate, my respiration. I wear a Fitbit kind of watch and it tells me how deep my sleep is and, you know, how much rest I'm getting, how stressed I am, et cetera, et cetera. So physical is pretty easy to measure. Financial, it's pretty easy to measure. But how do you measure your emotional health, your intellectual health, your spiritual health? How do you measure those kinds of things? Great questions. I did this. I did this self-assessment at the beginning of the year. I did the self-assessment at the end of the year. And what I found was that by, um, you know, saying on a scale of one to 10, I'm currently at a three. I want to at least get up to a seven in this particular area. Maybe I'll get all the way up to a 10. And so my health and my relationships improved tremendously over the year. I could give you some, some information about that. But the surprising thing, the thing that caught me off guard that I did not know was going to happen was by practicing self-care, my business grew significantly. (laughs) And I thought, if I take my eye off of the ball for about 10 seconds, you know, this business is going to fall apart and nothing's going to happen. And, and instead it grew because people were attracted to me. They could see that I was thriving. They could see that I was healthy. They could see that I was living a life that they wanted to live. And they were attracted to that. And so because of that, I was able to be a better service. So, you know, thriving in life has to come before we connect and contribute. That is a beautiful, beautiful response. And so what did it look like for you, Tony, when you sat back and said, what would my life look like if I was thriving? What conclusion did you come up with? sometimes think about the idea of being overweight and we picture this morbidly obese person but the truth is you know at the time when this happened um, at 2018 I had just turned 60 years old and at the age of 60 I wasn't morbidly obese I mean you know most people would look at me and go yeah he's 60 he's got a little belly you know whatever that's the way it works but I was a little overweight and and uh, my cholesterol was high and my lipids were high and you know and and so my my dad had his first heart attack when he was 57 years old you know of course he, he used to drink bacon grease for breakfast you know right and you know so so what i did was i uh you know i'm a little bit of a runner and last year i became really serious about my running i i got out and ran a lot more um and in 2019 of course 2020 is a little weird different year than 2019 but 
last year I ran 1,790 miles. So that's, that's the equivalent of leaving my house in Minneapolis and going to Miami. So I, I ran a bunch of miles. Um, I changed my diet, and, and here's, here's what happened. Uh, my LDL cholesterol went down 29%. My triglycerides went down 38%. My total cholesterol went down 40%. And I lost 16.4 pounds wow. across the year. And so, you know, again, that's something that's measurable. Now, again, my relationships improved. Uh, my, uh, my business improved. Uh, the way that I contribute improved. It's just, you know, I was able to be of service more because I just made it a priority to serve myself first. So you're putting you're putting a scale one through ten, and you're putting numbers on it. You mentioned measured. Uh, I'm yeah. interested to know how and what uh, you 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 decided to measure to, to to determine whether you were thriving or not. Yeah, yeah. So I have a self assessment, and um, and and that self assessment is just sort of a. You know, uh, a honest. Well, you know, here's here's the truth. I always say one to ten because people know that they get it, they relate to it. The truth is, the scale goes from one through twelve, and here's why I did that. It goes from one through twelve because one through four, you know, then then five through eight, right? So you can do quarters. And so, am I in the twenty-five percentile, the fifty percentile, seventy-five percentile, or am I approaching the hundred percentile? So. The, the truth is the self-assessment, it goes from uh, 1 through 12. And then each one is just, you know, I, I ask myself a series of questions, and then I use a little slider bar on that self-assessment, and I can slide it to the left or slide it to the right. You know, is this more like me? Is this less like me? And then, and then at the end, it spits out a report, and the report uh, will, will tell you on that scale of 1 to 12 how you're doing. Uh, and then, you know, I, I, I actually, I used that to measure myself, and then I just put that up on my website, and anybody who wants to can go there and click on the self-assessment and uh, take it themselves, and uh, I'll send them a report. It has a nice charts and graphs and stuff, and so that's available for anybody who wants it. That's beautiful stuff there, and so we'll definitely put your uh, website in the show notes and all of that. Listen, for someone that might be depressed, stressed, anxiety, anxious, isolation, all of these things, these are problems that you have faced. And you mentioned your book by John uh, 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 Johan Hari, right? The Lost Connections. Yep, yep. And so yep. you, you, you mentioned that, and you mentioned your self-assessment and all of those things. What kind of verbal advice would you give to somebody that's facing uh, problems such as these that we've mentioned. Yeah. You know, I mean, take it seriously. That's the first thing. Um, and, then, and then the second thing is talk about it. Um, you know, I had my friend Michael, and I was able to say that to him, and he made, you know, made this suggestion, and I went off on a self-quest, but I'm very self-directed, right? But the truth is, and I don't, I don't talk about this a lot publicly, I've been in counseling for years. I mean, I, I first went to a counselor in 1992. That's probably before you were born. And, <laughs> and I've been in counseling most of the time from then until now. So 
find someone that you can trust, that you can have those conversations with, where you can talk about those things, you know, going back to the idea from Philip McKernan, sorry, Philip McKernan, about your genius is very next to your greatest wound. Um, You know, 90% of success is inner work. And so what is that story that if you told it out loud, if you told somebody, if you confessed this thing to them, that you would just lose your stuff and, wow. and find somebody and have that conversation. Now, there are people who do have an imbalance of brain chemistry. They do need medication. I am not telling anyone to flush your pills and walk away and just go absolutely go about your life. You know, so so I'm not giving that advice. But what I am saying is that that <clears throat> look at it holistically. Look at it not just that one thing. Not just is my brain chemistry out of balance. Take a look at what you have control of in your own life and, and, and make a decision. So measure yourself against it. Get yourself a plan. Get some help. Talk to people about it. And you're well on your way. Wow. Wow. I love this. And a lot of it, Tony, sounds so basic, but it's so huge and it's so pivotal. And, and, and this is stuff that we need to be hearing and and just have it confirmed in our spirit that there is hope out there and and you know um and and there there there's hope i want to encourage our listeners today that that there's hope there's hope in in jesus christ there's hope in humanity there's hope in relationships and friendships and all of that and so reach out let's let's talk to someone let's do it today let's not waste any more time now for our listeners, um, Tony, what? How can they find out more about you? Um, any books or anything? Um, where can yeah. they go to find out more about Tony Lloyd? Yeah. So um, my uh, my last name is spelled with one L, and that's the only tricky bit. Most people, when they spell Lloyd, they spell it with two L's. But my yes. family is a bunch of weirdos, <laughs> so we. we we only spell it with one L. So if you just look for Tony Lloyd, T-O-N-Y-L-O-Y-D, you can find me at TonyLloyd.com. Or if you just Google my name, you're going to find me all over the Internet, uh, as long as you spell my last name with one L. Now, if people go to my website, I have a book, and it's called Crazy Good Advice, 10 Lessons Learned from 150 Social Entrepreneurs. And there's a big green button right on the front of the website. When you land there, you can download an electronic copy of that book for free. Um, now, if you want to go buy a Kindle version on Amazon or you want to get a paperback, you know, it's going to cost you, I don't know, fourteen ninety five, depending on the version, or maybe nineteen ninety five. Um, and you can get it there. It's, it's available if you want to go do that. Uh, but if you just want you know, a PDF or an EPUB version of it, you can go to my website, TonyLloyd.com, big green button right on the front. Crazy Good Advice, 10 Lessons Learned from 150 Leading Social Entrepreneurs. It, it's really full of stories, like I was telling a while ago about, you know, Old Square or about Spoonful Apparel. It's, it, it's full of stories like that. It's, it's well illustrated. It's a lot of fun. It's a pretty light read. So I think people would enjoy it. Fantastic, and I'm going to be getting that. I love the idea of crazy good advice. And so, um, so there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Tony Lloyd at TonyLloyd.com. Make sure you go pick up the book uh, and all of those things. Tony, I have certainly, certainly uh, appreciated um, your time and your wisdom, buddy. All right. Thanks, Dustin. And so if you will hold on just for a minute, as for our listeners... 
I will see you in the next couple of days.